joy to be with you all tonight. Let's see if our microphone is working here. Um, if I remember correctly, it has been um, three years or more since I was here, and that was all uh, before there came this virus known as COVID. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you all, but it's visited my family a few times. We had some family members just getting over it again. But uh, yay, those many, many months ago, I remember being here under uh, great circumstances, uh, and it's always a joy to be here. I've, uh, I've talked about you all to a number of people through the years, how this is just a group of Christians who make you feel at home, and I'm always thankful for that. wish my wife could be with me this weekend, but she is visiting her mother who lost her second husband a few months ago and is spending uh, some time with her. We now have an empty nest. Our kids are all in college or out of college, so uh, we're going through that. And actually, as much as we absolutely love our kids, empty nesting is not as bad as some have made it out to be. I love being married. I love uh, dating my wife. And it's easier to date your wife when you don't have kids to come home to feed. I found that out. I do bring you greetings from Wetumpka Church of Christ, been my home congregation for many years. Um, I stepped down from uh, serving as an elder there a few years ago after serving for four years and as a minister for a number of years before that uh, to be able to travel more, and it's been a blessing to get to see brothers and sisters more frequently around different places. I also bring you greetings from Apologetics Press there in Montgomery, Alabama, where I've been for about the last 22 years now. And I, I, as I normally do, I brought some materials from AP, and... Um, we have some free materials, which are the magazines. Any, anything that looks like a magazine or a pamphlet, all that is free. Please feel free to take that. Take some for other people. There's also materials back there that have a cost to them. Uh, I tell people all the time, and you've heard me most likely say this before, you can go to our website where 99% I'm estimating of everything we write is on there for free. Go to our website, go to our app. You can watch things, read things. They're not always in the exact format that we might have in a printed way, partly because of um, copyrights regarding illustrations, and sometimes you can use those in printed material and you can't use them online or vice versa, and so there are those kinds of things. So if you want a lot of free electronic material, you can get that online, but we have some books. If you would like to purchase those, please feel free. You may want some, maybe for your kids, maybe for some uh, children in the community or at school. Um, I think the last time I was here, we had the Apologetics Press Defending the Faith Study Bible in hardback only, and now uh, we're thankful to be able to offer that uh, in uh, multiple colors. Also, we have it in leather now. It's more expensive. If, if there are any uh, Bible boxes back there with the white tab, I was told uh, by one of the secretaries at AP, be sure to take $10 off of the price of that because there is some minor, minor defect from what I was told not in the biblical text, but in maybe the cover or something like that. It's probably very, very small. Check it out for yourself. Feel free to do that. So without any further ado, let's talk about a biblical response to cancel culture. And I think we ought to define our terms just to make sure that we're all on the same page here. Cambridge Dictionary defines cancel culture as a way of behaving in a society or group, especially on social media, in which it is common to completely reject or stop supporting someone because they have said or done something that offends you. By the way, I must say, I love how huge your, your screens or your projections are up here. I think I could sit in the back of this auditorium and even with my 
you know, not so great eyesight, I think I could see some of this, a biblical response to cancel culture. What is that again? Well, let's read it again. It is a way of behaving in a society or group, according to one dictionary, especially on social media, in which it is common to completely reject or stop supporting someone because they have said or done something that offends you. You know, the world, as far as I understand it, the world, or at least the U.S.'s most popular podcaster, I don't know much of anything about this gentleman. His name is Joe Rogan, but he has a very popular podcast with over 13 million subscribers. And because he said something, I think it was a couple of years ago, about the virus that we call COVID that didn't sit well with a lot of individuals who have a lot of um, you know, power and authority and influence, uh, they went after the, the world's most popular podcaster. One of, if not today's most popular uh, author, one who has sold, I mean, when you think about someone living in this day and time who has a, you know, world's top 100 best-selling book or book series, the Harry Potter series, you may know that the author of that series is uh, J.K. Rowling. And as, as far as I understand, trying to be kind and considerate to anyone and, and everyone, hopefully, my understanding is she is not a devout Christian, and yet she very much understands and believes in the legitimate nature of a distinction between men and women, between males and females, between two genders. And because of her statements on that, because she was not towing the politically correct party line of transgender identity, she was blistered on social media and suffered waves of harassment and cancellations. So I wanted to bring out those two examples to say this is not just a Christian topic, you might say. I mean, there are those who, I don't think that Joe Rogan would consider himself a Christian because what little I've heard from him, he has very much, if I can say this kindly, a potty mouth. I mean, like a kind of a bad potty mouth. I hope that Christians don't talk like that, even though I would love for him to be a Christian. So this is not just a Christian topic. However, oftentimes it manifests itself, as you probably well know, with those who are trying to believe and practice what God has told us to believe and practice. And in a couple of other examples I give you before getting into the response to this kind of uh, idea and this kind of culture, let me say that I'm not contending that everyone, every example I'm giving here, that these are individuals who are New Testament Christians. I don't know all of their backgrounds, but there was one gentleman, as I understand it, who, has, uh, who is Christian-oriented, and a teacher, a former teacher, at West Point High School, uh, the school board there voted unanimously to terminate this French teacher's employment for, quote, uh, refusing, quote, to use a transgender student's preferred pronoun citing religious reasons. Now this uh, teacher, as far as I could uh, gather, was very well liked by his students. The, he, he went, it sounded like, above and beyond to teach his students, to be there for his students. He sounded like the kind of public school teacher that you would absolutely want in, uh, you know, in your community. And yet, um, because he would not use the preferred pronoun, of the, he actually used the preferred name for the student. The student changed 
his name to a name that would be more similar to a female name, as I understand it. He used the student's preferred name, but could not in all good conscience use the student's preferred pronoun. Here's the thing. He just never used a pronoun when referring to the student and was fired because of something he didn't say. Can you believe that? For something he would not and could not in all good conscience say for that, he was fired. Uh, this was back in September of 2021, so just a little over a year ago. You know, it seems more perfectly fine and, and expected to be uh, pro-abortion if you are in any kind of kind of mainstream media way. You and I pretty much understand that. Are you aware of the fact that the CEO of Tripwire which is a video game uh, company, a company that makes, I guess, like big-time video games. The CEO of that company, back in September of 2021, uh, tweeted this. So he was on Twitter, and he made a statement on Twitter after the uh, Supreme Court affirmed that the Texas law banning abortion for babies uh, with a heartbeat, he, they affirmed that, they upheld it, and, and he tweeted how thankful and proud he was of that, and he was quickly, I mean, he was the CEO, my understanding of, if I under, understand correctly, he was the founder and CEO, but he was at least the CEO. He drew all sorts of fire on social media because of this, and two days later was fired from this. Now, can, do you believe me when I say I could go on for the next 45 minutes with these kinds of examples? And I won't, but I... I just so people understand, we're not just, you know, I, I do think that there may be some who are not Christians who think, oh, those Christians, they're always whining. You know, they're just making up this whole cancel culture thing, and it's really not that bad. I, I, you're probably very well aware of the fact that there was a, a state representative in the state of Alabama who for 26 years, excuse me, the state of Tennessee, not the state of Alabama, who for 26 years had been elected 13, been elected 13 times, re-elected 12 times to the Tennessee uh, House of Representatives. Our brother John DeBerry, one of the few, one of the few uh, pro-life Democrats that I am aware of. Maybe there are more. I'm just not aware of them. But he was basically kicked off of, even though he had won re-election 12 times. Served 13 terms for 26 years. Do you think he would have been a shoe-in for the next one? Absolutely. But, you know, they didn't really like his, the fact that, uh, well, they didn't like his views on abortion being sinful or homosexuality or his views on school choice. And so they ousted him and would not allow him to run anymore as a Democrat in, uh, in the Memphis area, as I understand it. As I understand it, uh, the governor of the state of Tennessee actually now has him, or at least at one time did, kind of on his advisory board, which I was very glad to hear. That's our brother in Christ. You know, I was talking to the son of an elder uh, who was an elder in the state of Georgia. One last example here, I think. And uh, the eldership there in, in this particular town in Georgia, and I don't want to go into all the details. You might be showing this online, and it wouldn't necessarily... Uh, they may not need to relive all of this, but in this particular congregation, they 
withdrew from a member who left her lawful husband to go and be with another woman in a relationship. And the congregation, and I don't know all of the dealings. I know that at Wetumpka in the last uh, five or six years, we've had to withdraw publicly from, from two individuals. And it is one of the hardest things for a church to go through, for an eldership to go through. It, it is, it's hard. And God knew it was, it was going to be hard when he gave us such um, uh, principles and commands in passages like 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 5 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And in this congregation in Georgia, they withdrew from this person. And you, can you imagine the kind of publicity they got? Very, very negative on social media on uh, a news outlet there, if I recall correctly, in the Atlanta area or a part of, uh, of Georgia. And in fact, the young man who was telling me, I had already heard, if I remember correctly, about the events, but one of the elder sons was telling me that one of the other elders was threatened at his work for his job, about his job, about possibly losing his job because he had the audacity to be an elder in this congregation that followed what God's word had to say. We could go on and on talking about the culture in which we live. But I don't think there's a need because you knew this without me saying it most likely. Still, I thought it was important. I think it is important to show real examples of these kinds of things. Well, how do we respond to living in a cancel culture? Well, I think it would be appropriate first to consider the fact that cancel culture is nothing new for God's people. If we are people who read our Bibles, we should know this. Now, does it sadden me that we live in a cancel culture? Does it sadden me to consider our country's history, and even though we have never been perfect to see where we are today, morally speaking, does it sicken me to see how evil is called good and good is called evil in this country today, that, that we seem to be more like the, the days of Isaiah than ever before when he said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Does it, does it sadden me greatly? Absolutely. However, we should not be so biblically and historically unaware to think that we're the first people in, 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 on earth to ever go through this. You can look around the world today and see our brethren in very, very difficult situations around the world who sadly have it ten times, maybe a hundred times worse than many Americans do. I mean, do, do we want to talk about what is going on in North Korea or what has been going on in China for years with the persecution of Christians or in various Middle Eastern countries where people are, if they are Christians, they're meeting underground most likely? Or what about what has happened throughout history? I mean, when you want to you see real cancel culture, I mean like cancel culture to it, its almost most extent, you think about going back to the time that Moses was born when an, a king uh, came up in Egypt who did not know Joseph. And so he set taskmasters over the Israelites and he made their lives miserable. And then if that wasn't enough, eventually he said, hey, they're becoming too many. We're going to kill all of their male children. And when it didn't work, when he talked to the, the Hebrew midwives, he said, let's throw them in the river. 
I'm thankful that we don't have, you know, uh, people who are representing us in Washington, D.C., if they haven't forgotten that they represent the people, people who are in powerful positions, politically speaking, in this country. I'm thankful it hasn't gotten to that point. I'm not happy with where it is. And I want it to be, and I pray it will be, and I, I vote for, hopefully, a, a better world for my kids and potential grandkids one day to, to grow up in. But I, I think we ought to be reminded of the fact that, that we're not living in the days of, of Moses or not, not living in the days of, of Elijah, who in 1 Kings chapter 18, Jezebel sought to... Well, she, she, she was killing the prophets... And you recall that Obed hid a hundred prophets in two different caves. They were, you know what I've never had to do? I've never had to go hide in a cave because of teaching the Bible, for which I'm, I'm very thankful. I'm 47 years old. God has blessed me to teach and preach for, I guess, more than two decades now. And I've never been arrested. I've never been, my life that I know of, I've never been threatened. I mean, I, I honestly, when you think about the last 2,000 years of Christianity, has there been a better time in world history to be a Christian and to be a preacher? And I'm not saying that all preachers have it easy. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying historically, when we compare this historically and biblically, and you think about what Elijah was going through in the days of King Ahab, who looked at Elijah, who was a faithful prophet of God, and called him, 1 Kings chapter 18, called him the troubler. Or in 1 Kings chapter 19, when he was afraid for his life because Jezebel was ready to destroy him. Or 1 Kings chapter 22, when the faithful, faithful, courageous prophet Micaiah, when he had the, the courage to tell the wicked king Ahab, though sarcastically at first, tell him the truth that he didn't want to hear to be, to be struck or to... Think about how Jeremiah was struck and thrown into a cistern that was full of water and mud, probably intended to be left to be, to be drowned and die there before he was eventually saved. I mean, cancel culture has been around. We can go back 2,000 years ago to see when, when, when the Christ, when the Messiah came into the world, that King Herod sought to what? heard that, oh, there's some king, king of the Jews has been born. Oh, what, what is he going to do? Matthew chapter 2? He's going to, well, he can't, he's, uh, he's pretty upset because the wise men, they, they uh, you know, as he would think of it, they betrayed him. They didn't go back to him and tell him where the Messiah, where the king of the Jews was born. And so he, in Bethlehem and the surrounding districts, decided he's going to kill all the male children two years of age and younger. I mean, the Bible is full of examples. We've barely touched the proverbial hem of the garment. The, the faithful prophet John the Baptizer, he had the courage to tell Herod Antipas that it was not lawful for him to have his brother's wife. You know, again, that, that's one of the more difficult things for a preacher or an elder or a Christian to tell someone. Some of the most difficult elders' meetings I've ever been in have been when we are having to, having to, in all good conscience and in light of what God's Word teaches, having to tell someone 
what the Bible teaches about marriage and divorce and remarriage. Those are some of the hardest things to do. But you know, it, it didn't cause John, John the baptizer didn't say, well, that's going to be hard to do. And you know, it might, I might be put in prison for this or I might die because of this. And you know what? He eventually had his head removed from his body and given on a platter to Herod's daughter or stepdaughter who then gave it to Herodias because that's what she wanted because she couldn't stand what John the baptizer said. Well, I've probably been through this point enough. We could go through the book of Acts, couldn't we? And see where there was a serious cancel culture. I mean, we just really didn't even go over the life of Jesus. Do you think that there was attempts to, to cancel him? I mean, remember when he stood up in, in Nazareth, his hometown of Nazareth. You know, Jesus had never committed a sin. He had never done anything wrong. He, how could he have not had a great reputation, the son of, of uh, you know, stepson of Joseph, the son of Mary, growing up there in, in, in Nazareth, and yet he reads from the scroll of Isaiah in Luke chapter 4, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. Oh, what, what an amazing scene this is. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's, he's reading this passage about the Messiah and he's telling them, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me. And he continues the reading and the Bible tells us that he closed the book or the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he continued to preach to them some things that, I mean, they were, they were mesmerized. They, they, they were surprised. That, that's the understatement probably of a lifetime. To hear that he is claiming to be the Messiah. And then he proceeds to tell them some very hard truths that they who were putting too much confidence in their Jewish heritage needed to hear. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4 that they were, verse 28, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city that they might throw him down over the cliff. And somehow, the Bible doesn't go into detail, he passed through the midst of them and he went away. Cancel culture. I'm not happy with what's going on in our culture today. But I have to say that we need to look at it with a proper lens on, a proper perspective. Cancel culture is nothing new. So what do we do about it? I mean, yet yeah, it may be nothing new, but how do we respond to cancel culture? Well, I would contend that let's, let's not respond to cancel culture with a cancel culture mentality. You know, it, does, does God want us, y'all been driving lately, I imagine most people in here, 16 and over, we have some precious ones who are not that age yet, but most of you are, most of you drove here most likely. You know, what are we tempted to do when someone is, is driving in front of us and they slam on their brakes or they're, they're doing, this happened to me going down Atlanta Highway in Montgomery just this week. I was, I had a green light 
So I was just going through a busy intersection, and there's this car just coming like this right here, turning left in front of me, going a snail's pace, I mean like 5 or 10 miles an hour it felt like, and this is what I saw. Just doing this. It had a red light. I had a green light. It was like green. There was, there was, and, and I mean, I was going, other cars were going. What are we tempted? How are we tempted to react in that situation? Now, I will say this. I'm a firm believer in a proper use of the horn. You know why? I tell my, my wife, like, don't, don't blow your horn. Well, you know what? If I'm about to kill someone, I want them to blow their horn at me. And because I've ran some, I have, I have run some red lights before, okay? Got to get my English there. Some of you all are English people. You, you want to make sure the preacher has his noun-verb agreements correctly, right? So I've done that. Not that I, I, I meant to, at least I hope not. And you know what? I'm about to, if I'm about to die, I want someone to, to beat their horn at me. And, you know, you can use the horn in, with a Christian attitude. But, you know, how are we tempted to respond to inappropriate driving? How are we tempted to respond? With what? With what's called road rage. That's how, you know, that's how we, moms and dads, husbands and wives, 16-year-olds and older, you know how, we're often, how we oftentimes drive? Like two-year-olds act. You know, when a two-year-old pushes another two- or three-year-old down, what, it, does the, do, you, do you most oftentimes see the other child say, that's okay, I'm going to react nicely to you. I'm not going to come and slap you or push you down or cry or go tell on you. I forgive you. You don't normally see two- and three-year-olds do that. Why? Well, because they ha they're not mature enough to really understand how they should act most likely. And, and, you know, most likely we respond to road rage or... You see, Jesus knew all this, why he gave us those amazing teachings in the Sermon on the Mount, that we don't, we don't react to a canceling culture mentality with that kind of mentality. You know, when you think about those who, who ran at Stephen, the faithful preacher there in Acts chapter 7, ran at him with stiff necks and stopped, they stopped up their ears and thrust him out of the city? Is that how we need to react to people? Absolutely not. You, you know this, I know this, but we need to be reminded of this because, because it's easier said than done. Jesus wants us to respond to cancel culture with the kinds of things that we are about to go through over the next few minutes here. And I'm not going to keep you till 9 o'clock tonight. You all have been probably working this week, been going to school this week, and you all are troopers for being here on a Friday night, and it's, it's a blessing to be with you all. Uh, we're probably going to, Lord willing, kind of pick up from this study because the uh, first lesson, Lord willing, tomorrow night at 6 o'clock is on uh, 1 Peter 3.15 and you know, learning how to give a defense. And so really these first two lessons go hand in hand with each other. So the good news for you tonight is it's kind of like what we don't cover tonight. There's a sense in which we're going to kind of pick up with some of these kinds of points tomorrow night. But you know, the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 verse 19 that, that God wants us to be what? He wants us to be swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom 
of heaven. And so, you know, Jesus tells us, if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the, and he uses the tax collectors as an example. The tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, are we tempted to be that way sometimes? Well, I'm just going to talk to those people who agree with me. You see this manifesting itself big time in the world of social media. It's like cancel, cancel, cancel. I don't like you, I don't like you, I don't like you. Cancel, cancel, cancel. Now, I must say, I have, you know, I, I have no care in the world to engage much at all on social media. I, wouldn't, I would like to do it face-to-face. -face. I'd like to do it by way of phone. Prefer face-to-face -face or by way of email or phone. But I don't have... I don't feel like it is a good use of my time to just constantly be on social media and go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Just based upon some of the emails I get or a number of the emails I get, I, uh, I, that's enough for me. I mean, I have a hard enough time keeping my inbox fairly empty when it comes to my email. Some people might choose to, to spend more time on social media. I would just encourage all of us to be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath because that often seems to be kind of uncommon on social media. We need to resist the cancel culture mentality. Jesus said, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Does that seem to be what's going on in our society mostly today? No. I mean, this was revolutionary in the first century. It's still revolutionary today. Jesus is the master teacher. He's the greatest teacher who ever lived, ever will live. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. You know this. I know this. But we need to be reminded of it. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You know, it's, it's amazing to think about how Jesus, he came into a world of serious cancel culture, knowing he was going to be canceled. Isn't that something? The prophet David, 1,000 years before Jesus, said in, in Psalm 22 that he was going to be despised by the people. Psalm 22, verse 6. Verse 7. All those who see me ridicule me, they shoot out the lip. We don't really use that expression a whole lot today, but shoot out the lip. Does that sound like, oh, they were going to say nice, lovely things about him? Or they were going to be contemptible things? And it wasn't just David who wrote that, but about 300 years later, the prophet Isaiah would say, he, speaking as if it had already happened, he is despised and rejected by men. Did Jesus, when the first century came around, did he say, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go into that cult. John chapter 1 and verse 11 tells us that he came into his own and his own did not receive him. Our response, Jesus tells us, Jesus shows us that our response to cancel culture cannot be, must not be a cancel culture mentality. Jesus' mentality was, come unto me all you who labor, labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. The biblical mindset 
is the invitation of our Lord is open to anyone and everyone. What about those children who are growing up in homes that, for lack of a better term, there's just craziness going on there? Do those children deserve that? Do they, should, should, shouldn't they be offered? As well as their parents who might not be of sound reasoning mind at the moment, should they be offered the invitation of our Lord? And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come and let him who thirsts come. Let him who hears come. Whoever, whoever wills, let him take the waters of life freely. It's not just for you and me. Jesus went into a cancel culture and told his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Whether it's here, there, anywhere, and everywhere. Our response is, we're not going to cancel you, but we are going to courageously be determined to live the faithful, loving, kind Christian life. We are not perfect. We're not going to be perfect. We don't claim to be perfect. We claim to be saved sinners, saved by the blood of the Lamb. But God expects us to be courageous. He does not expect us in a day and time where so many people are apologizing for what the Bible teaches about sexuality or for what the Bible teaches about the sanctity of life or what the Bible teaches about withdrawing fellowship from the disorderly or any number of things where we are intimidated to feel and to... to, to think and to not act in a courageous Christian manner, well, we're told to back down when God says to step up. He doesn't say to be mean. He doesn't say to be unkind. He doesn't say to, to uh, you know, he tells us that a soft answer turns away wrath. He tells us, you know, to not answer a fool according to his folly. At least, you know, the Proverbs writer is, is saying that at least in some or many situations. Sometimes then, the Proverbs writer goes on to say, there is a, a need to do that. But God wants us to be courageous. And I'm thankful that even though the Scriptures are about the redemption through the Messiah who came into the world, the Son of God, though, though the Scriptures are all about Him and all about the scheme of redemption, all about the plan of salvation, from Genesis chapter 3.15 onward, I'm thankful that in all of that, inspired text that the Holy Spirit so lovingly gave us that He wove into all of that amazingly men and women of courageous faith who help us, inspire us, like, like Noah, who the Bible tells us on, I believe it is, two different occasions, he did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah did according to all the Lord commanded him. Genesis chapter 6, 22. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 5. In a day and time when every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. Let's be Joshua and Caleb among so-called giants. Let's be Daniel who is threatened with a lion's den and put in one. Let's be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego even when facing and literally put in a fiery furnace and would not deny their God and would not bow to idols, would not give up. God calls us to 
if we don't think of ourselves as courageous, that we just don't give in to the fear. He told, you recall, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. He wants us to keep going. The book of Acts is a book about courage. I think a lot of it is anyway. When you see early Christians, they're being persecuted by the Jews, and then later, uh, in the, in, in, as, as the church decades went on, they were being very persecuted, very much so by the Romans. And the Christians, the faithful, stood up. And Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death. Revelation 2.10, and I will give you the crown of life. We need to respond to cancel culture with a courageous determination to be, to be faithful. We need to respond to cancel culture with patience. You know, when you think about cancel culture, cancel culture rushes to judgment, right? I mean, we see this, it seems, especially with the 24-hour news cycle that we have today. Where I mean, you know, when I was a kid... You know, we had like the, the 5.30, I think it was the 5.30 world news, the 6 o'clock local news, or maybe I have that backward. You know, that, that was, and maybe the, the local news came back on about 10 o'clock at night, and that was about it. You know, maybe if you were retired, you would watch uh, Good Morning America or something like that. But now, I mean, I mean it's news 24-7. And, I mean, there is, on so many channels, in so many sectors, there is this rush, something happens and there is a rush... No one knows all the facts as soon as something happens. Cancel culture, its very nature is irrational and rushing to judgment. Mainstream media tends to be so quick to pounce on people. Cancel culture is characterized by being quick-tempered, impatient, lashing, gnashing, and trashing. I wrote an article on this a few, uh, I guess it was a few months ago now. You can read it on our website if you'd like to know more about this subject. But when you think about how impatient cancel culture is, and then you think about Christians, you think about God's people, you think about the church, what are we supposed to be like? Well, we're supposed to be like our God. And, and what is our God like? Well, He is, by His very perfect nature, He is patient. He is patient. He is long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Romans chapter 15, you recall that he said, you know, these things were, that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience. You know what you read about our God in the Old Testament that Paul just referred to in Romans 15, 4, that he was a God of patience in the days of Abraham and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Before that, he was a God of patience in the days of Noah. Can you imagine waiting the number of years he waited to bring a flood upon this earth when every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually? And if I understand correctly, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, the divine long-suffering waited, the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. 
And if I understand Genesis chapter 6 verses 1 through 3 correctly, it sounds to me, it seems to me that that waiting was for 120 years while God's Spirit was working through Noah to preach a message of repentance. And God waited. And we see these different things throughout the Old Testament where God waited, sometimes hundreds of years, like in the case of the Canaanites. People think about God being you know, some, some God who is just a God of, uh, uh, who is mean and tyrannical and a God of, of just uh, doesn't have a fair sense of, of, of justice. That's not the case at all. He has perfect, uh, a perfect mind when it comes to justice and fairness, of rightness and wrongness. And even when he is, as he always is, perfect in all that, he's still also very patient. So much so that those Canaanites, he waited hundreds of years to finally judge them by bringing the Israelites into their land to conquer them. Read Genesis chapter 15. God's telling Abraham that their iniquity has not yet reached a full cup for me to punish them like he knew he was going to in the future. My point is this. If that is our God, don't we want to be like our God when it comes to the to some of the insanity that we see in the world around us? I want to close with this passage tonight. We talked about courage and patience. I want to close with Galatians chapter 5. You, you recall that he, he speaks of the works of the flesh, how they're evident, and people who are, who are practicing these works of the flesh that they would not inherit the kingdom of God. Some of the very things that he lists here these are characteristic of cancel culture. Not just the sexual immorality, but the hatred, verse 20, Galatians chapter 5, the contentions, the jealousies, the outbursts of wrath, the selfish ambitions, the dissensions, heresies, the, the envy. That, that is, I mean, that's almost like he's just describing our day and time of cancel culture. But he says, the fruit of the Spirit... How should we respond to cancel culture? With, with love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. How should we respond to cancel culture? Not by thinking this is the end of the world and this is the worst that's ever been in human history, but with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the confident expectation of a better world on the other side of Heaven being our home, we have joy in our heart. The fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy. We're going to be people, when, when, when all the rage is about warring with one another, we're going to be people who are at peace with one another. Amen? Because we treasure the Prince of Peace. Because peace is the fruit of the Spirit. And if there are willing souls in the world who want the message of the Prince of Peace and who will allow that message to penetrate their hearts in obedience to the gospel, the saving gospel, the saving powerful gospel of Jesus Christ that can take someone who is in and immersed in a cancel culture and call them out of that dark world and bring them into His body, His church, by His grace, by His mercy, by His love, and the calling that we teach, that we preach by the grace of God. The fruit of the Spirit is love. 
joy, peace, long-suffering, patience. Our response to cancel culture is we understand that it's nothing new. We're not going to respond to it with a cancel culture type mentality. We're going to go where Jesus said to go. We're going to do what Jesus said to do. We're going to trust in the one that God wants us to trust, which is in Him and, and not ourselves. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him. He will direct your steps and my steps even through a dark world in dark times. doesn't mean that these are the darkest times this world has ever seen, but it does mean we're going to respond to it, not with a cancel culture mentality, but with an invitation of Jesus Christ. That invitation is open tonight. There may be one or more here tonight who's not a Christian. The best thing you can ever do, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about this statement. Anyone who has read the Bible will tell you that there is nothing better. And you know what? You, you can even not know the Bible, and you, sh you should know this, that if there's something better on the other side of this material realm, and if there's something better, and someone wants to tell you about it and how to get there, then there's nothing better for you to know than that. Amen? Amen? So there's a sense in which we can know this from a logical standpoint, and we can certainly know it from a biblical standpoint, that if you want to go to heaven, if you want to receive what God has reserved for us in heaven, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, then confess your faith in the one who gave his life for you in your place. Because the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Confess your faith in him. Turn away from sin 180 degrees around. Turn toward the light. And follow Jesus, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. Rising up as a new person, dying to sin, living for the Lord. If you're not a Christian tonight, won't you become one? If you need to study more, then let's study the wonderful message of the gospel more. If you are a Christian, but you've fallen away. If you're a Christian, but you've gotten so wrapped up in a dark world that you're having a hard time finding your way out, let's confess that. And let the church here help you, pull you back to the light by the grace of God, with the help of God, with the help of God's people, through prayer, through repentance, through confession of that sin, through an invitation that is still offered, that is still open and will be open for the moment, not guaranteed for another day because we don't know when Jesus will return. And it's a return that you and I can look forward to because God is coming back to take His people to a place that he has prepared. And I don't know about you, though I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my home congregation. I'm thankful for God's people all over the, all over the world. You know, the best thing that could actually happen to me would be something like what happened to Elijah or Enoch, be translated up into heaven. And the best thing for God's holy, sanctified people who are waiting on his return is for Jesus to return. Until then, we're going to keep loving him, we're going to keep following him, and we're going to keep trying to help other people see the light and go to heaven.